Washington is very nervous these days because they can't quite figure out what's going on. And one of the reasons there is such anxiety in Washington is that President Trump has had a, a realignment of advisors. Uh, Hope Hicks, his communications uh, liaison, has, has left the White House. Uh, Gary Cohn, one of his economic advisors, has, has left the White House. And, and the reason this is important to those people that pay attention to these kind of things is we always try to anticipate what the president will do based on those people that he has around him. Uh, because he has this person in his cabinet or this person on his uh, council of advisors, then we know how they are going to decide. Uh, and they, there's a, a kind of a game that's played in Washington to figure out who has the president's ear, which uh, counselor, which secretary is he listening to before he makes a decision? In his speeches, who does he sound like? Uh, who has access to him? Who's seen going in and out uh, of his office and in the White House? So uh, now Washington is upset and the world is upset because we can't figure out who has Trump's ear. And the reason this matters is there is billions of dollars being moved around on decisions based on what we think the president will decide about this issue and that issue. Now we can't quite figure that out. We're not sure who has his ear. Brings us to an interesting question, doesn't it? Who has your ear? When it comes to make a decision, when it comes to say, this is what I'm going to do, or this is how I'm going to understand this issue and respond to it, who do you listen to? Who is it in your life that tells you how it is, that defines reality? Who is it that has your ear? Moses was having to figure that very question out in the sixth chapter of the book of Exodus. Stand with me in honor of God's word. We pick up reading in the middle of the conversation with verse two. Then God spoke to Moses telling him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan the land that they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out of the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from, their sla from your slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the forced labor of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And Moses told this to the Israelites. But they did not listen because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Then God spoke, spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together.
We live in a noisy world, oh Lord. So when everybody starts talking at us and to us about this and about that, tune our hearts, our minds, and our ears so we only hear you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we're in it now. At the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph is rewarded by Pharaoh and allowed to bring his entire family to, to live in Egypt, the land of Goshen. All of Joseph's families move there, and the Hebrew nation is formed. Is, is, they're literally born into existence there. And as they grow and as they become stronger, they literally become a threat to Egypt. And the new Pharaoh, who doesn't understand the debt that Egypt has to Joseph, or who wants to rewrite the history of Egypt without their dependence on Joseph and the Hebrews, says that now we need to respond to the threat of the Hebrews and he enslaves them. When the slavery doesn't weaken the Hebrews, and in fact they thrive in it we're told, then he orders every male child born to a Hebrew mother, he orders that child to be killed. Moses is born during this time. His mother and father are Levites of the priest, what will become the priestly uh, line of the nation of, of Israel. They make the decision to protect their baby boy. They catch a plan to float him under the nose of Pharaoh's daughter in a basket. And Pharaoh's daughter sees this beautiful little boy, falls in love with him. Miriam, Moses' sister, then steps out of the weeds there and says, you may go find somebody to take care of this little boy. You're obviously busy. I'll find a mother to take care of him. And Moses is raised by his parents until he's of certain age when he is brought to Pharaoh's daughter and now is her son, and he is raised as a son of Pharaoh's court. As, Fa as Moses grows older, he sees an Egyptian overseer beating a Hebrew slave, and he intervenes and kills the Egyptian. Now he's a wanted man in Egypt. He's on the run. He runs to the wilderness where he finds a group of women and their sheep being bullied by another group of shepherds over a watering hole. Again, Moses intervenes, and there he meets his father-in-law and his future wife. He's married, and now we have an okay moment in the life of Moses. You know what an okay moment is? Everybody starts out with grand dreams. Everybody's going to make a big difference. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself married, find yourself with a couple of kids, and it's not great, it's not bad, it's just kind of okay. So you make the decision here, okay, maybe, maybe I didn't take the world by storm, but this isn't bad. I've got an okay life. And now we have this okay moment with Moses, but Moses sees a bush that doesn't burn up. Curious, he steps over to see what is going on, and he finds himself in the presence of the Lord God, who tells him, I've heard the prayers of my people in Egypt, and I'm going to rescue them. Yeah! Moses says, and you're going to do it. No, Moses says. There begins a long dialogue. God convinces Moses that it's time for him to go, gives him a handful of miracles, sends him on his way. Moses goes and tells Pharaoh, God said, let his people go. They need to go three days in the wilderness to worship, then we'll come back. Pharaoh says, if you've got all that time to go to church, you've got more time to work. Sound familiar? 
and he doubles the workload. Not only will you have to make the same number of bricks, you will have to get your own straw for making those bricks. We're not going to deliver it to you anymore. You'll have to go get it since you've got all of this time. And Pharaoh doubles down on the Hebrews. The Hebrews tell Moses, no one asked you to come save us. We were fine. We were making bricks, sure. It wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It was okay. We knew what to expect. We knew how to do it. And now you've got Pharaoh so mad, he wants to kill us. Go back to where you came from. And so Moses goes to God and has the moment that all of us wish we could have. I told you so. I told you nobody would listen. I told you Pharaoh wouldn't listen. I told you the Hebrews wouldn't believe. And now look where we are. Why have you done this to these people? They were fine. Now they're all angry. Pharaoh's mad. The only thing I've done is mess everything up. I told you this was a bad idea. You know, the interesting thing about this passage is in the verses before the Hebrews are mad at Moses and Aaron. Why don't y'all go back? What have y'all done? In the conversation, God talks to Moses, not both of them. Knowing Aaron and from other things that he does in the future, I'm wondering if when it got hot and everybody started yelling at Moses, if Aaron didn't kind of step over going, yeah, why did you do that? I know we're brothers, but that was my mother's fault. One of the things I love about the book of Exodus are the prayers of Moses. Uh, and if you want to do a, a study on what real prayer is like, then you need to find the prayers of Moses throughout this journey and read them. Uh, one time God says to Moses, your people have made me mad. And Moses says, my people? I didn't give birth to any of them. They're your people. I didn't call you, you called me. Another time God says, Moses, I'm so mad, I'm going to kill them all and start over. Why don't you just sit here and I'll start over with you. What does Moses say? You're going to have a serious PR problem. This is the prayer. The whole world's going to say you were strong enough to get them out of Egypt slavery, but you couldn't get them home, so you killed them all just to save your face, just to keep from being embarrassed. That's going to be hard to explain to the rest of the world. That was Moses' conversation. And now here, why have you done this? Things were okay. They weren't good. They weren't bad. They were okay. Did you notice how the Hebrews were trying to negotiate a better word of slavery? A better kind of slavery. We were okay here making bricks. Now you've messed everything up. If you'll just get us back to where they'll bring us a straw, we can take the slavery. We've given up hope of being free. We've given up hope of it ever being different. This is just kind of where we are. And we're kind of comfortable being slaves. Pharaoh told Moses, you're not God here. You're not king here. And God tells Moses, when Moses comes to him, he goes, why have you did this? 
God tells Moses, you wait and see what I do to Pharaoh. But as for you, this is what I want to tell you. I am. I am the Lord. I am. He took Moses back to that first conversation that he'd had with him. Remember? Moses is there in front of the burning bush, and Moses says, well, who will I say sent me? Okay? How will I know? See, that was, that was code for Moses wanted God's cell number. Okay? When I get in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh starts giving me a hard time, when the people start giving me a hard time, I want to know how to get in touch with you. So tell me your name. God's answer, I am. It's the Hebrew word to be. It literally means I was who I was. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. You tell them the essence of being sent you. No, I'm not going to tell you my name. I'll not be summoned by a second-rate shepherd boy. I come when I come. I leave when I leave. And you don't call me. You don't send me. I am the Lord. Did you notice? Moses lays out the problem. Pharaoh's mad. People are mad. I'm stuck in the middle. Moses' answer, the presence of God. God being there. God doesn't do anything, not yet. He simply shows up. Job. Job loses his family. Job loses all his property. He has this long-running argument with God. At the end of the book, God shows up. Who is it, God says, that darkens my throne with words without knowledge? Job's answer, I shut my mouth. God shows up, conversation's over. I am. I am the Lord. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who made the promise, the God who keeps the promise. And because I am, you are. Because I am the Lord, your God, Moses, you are the one who will confront Pharaoh. You are the one who will lead these people out of Egypt, slavery to the promised land. Because I am, you are. Have you ever noticed how many times people's names change when they encounter God? Um, Jacob becomes Israel. Um, Saul becomes Paul. Simon becomes Peter. Simon the disciple becomes the rock. Now, what if you were there? Do you remember the story? Jesus and his disciples are out in, in the wilderness. They're by themselves. Jesus has been doing some teaching. So he asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they got the answer right. Ooh, 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 know this one. Uh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And it's Simon who says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, you are now no longer Simon. You are now Petrus, the rock. Now, 
what would you have done if you were one of the other disciples and you knew Simon? And you're sitting there with him and, God, and Jesus looks at him and goes, no longer Simon, you're now the rock. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, Jesus, you were serious. We didn't. Okay, and then as soon as Jesus walked to the other side of the disciples, you would have let Peter have it, just like I would have. Rock, you're silly putty. How's Jesus going to build a church on silly putty? This is the same man who couldn't take the interrogation of a teenage girl. Right? Folded like a cheap card table. And this is the rock. Notice what Jesus does. Jesus gives you the name before you're the person. He gives you the name before you are the person. I am, you are. Present tense, right now. I am the Messiah, you are the rock. I am the Lord your God, you are Moses. Who has your ear about who you are? Who is it that defines reality? Is it Pharaoh? Is it Pharaoh who says, these are the rules of the world and I make the rules. This is what matters. This is what's important. This is what you'll give your life for. This is what you'll pay for. This is how you'll do it. This is how you'll use your time. And this is how we'll decide whether or not you are worth anything. Is it Pharaoh? Is it your friends? Is it your friends who tell you, listen, don't get all crazy about this Jesus stuff. Just kind of settle back here with us. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just kind of okay. But once you get used to it, slavery's not all that bad. Who is it that defines your reality? Who is it? that has your ear. I am, you are, I will, you can. I am the Lord your God, you are Moses. I will deal with Pharaoh, you can do what I told you to do. Who is it that you listen to in those moments when it's time to make a decision? Who is it that has your ear? I've told you before that most of us run our lives as if we're kind of some kind of corporation and we have a board. Okay, so we're going to make a decision and we'll have a board. And Jesus will be on our board. He will be one voice, but only one voice. We'll listen carefully to what he says, but let's be honest, sometimes Jesus is outvoted. Somebody makes us angry, so we'll turn to Jesus. What should we do? And Jesus will say, if one strikes you on one cheek, turn the other. We'll say, that's interesting. Clint Eastwood, what would you do? <laughs> then we weigh the two options. There's a famous story in South Carolina about a man who owned most of, had the largest private landowner in South Carolina, was in 
the textile business. He's famous for one conversation that everybody in South Carolina knew. A salesman had met with him and said, when your board considers, meets, and considers my proposal, I'd like to be there to say it. In which this gentleman from South Carolina looked up and he said, son, if my feet are under the table, the board's met. I am. The board's met. I am. You are. I will. You can. Who is it that defines your reality? Who is it that has your ear? Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you thinking about your life in this moment. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you or put you on the spot, but this is, this is a serious moment. Who are you listening to? Who defines you? Who defines your reality? Who defines your purpose? Who defines your mission? Who has your ear? For too many of us, it is the noise of the world. It is the noise of the world that says you have to be like this, you have to dress like this, talk like this. And we've tried to do that and the only thing we are is worse off. Jesus never intended you to live that way. He never intended for you to be that incongruent. but he wants you lined up. He wants you lined up with him and his divine purposes that started before time that will end at the end of time and runs straight through history. And he wants you in alignment with that. I know you're only thinking about your failures and all the things you've done wrong, and I, I get that. But hear what Christ has done for you on the cross. Here's what his resurrection opens up for you. I know I'm saying a whole lot in just a handful of words, and that's why we've got friends ministers standing out at next to a table in the atrium. It says, next steps, big sign, next steps. Just go and say, hey, I want to know more about what Mike was talking about. They'll pick up the conversation from there. Perhaps it's to come be part of our church fellowship and welcome you to join us on our journey. Work with us, serve with us, learn with us. You come. Or maybe life's just got you this week. Sometimes it happens. And you just want somebody to pray with you, somebody to hear your story. They've got time. They're waiting on you right now, so you come. The Lord's waiting for you where you are. The church will wait for you as you come. Don't leave this place not knowing who he is, not knowing who you are. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart.